We have a passage uh, from the Bible this morning that is arguably one of the most beautiful and compelling stories of grace and forgiveness, I think, in, a, in, in the whole Bible. And um, we're going to look at that story this morning. It comes from Luke chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn there, Luke chapter 7. And um, so it's, we're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 7, and I want to begin reading at verse 36 and then just read to the end of the chapter. So without further ado, let's uh, draw our attention to the words of Holy Scripture. One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one with 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I have entered your house, yet you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This you want to get at the major theme of this story and a major application of this story to simply this. What we see in this woman is a woman of desperation and a woman who feels so unworthy, so sinful, who has lived such a dishonoring life to God and herself and others, that it would be very easy for her to feel that she's simply beyond hope. But you know, when you look at the Bible, what you realize, and there are many characters of the Bible to prove this, that there is no one, 
there is no one, no matter who they are and what they have done, who are without hope. But there is always grace and there's always forgiveness at the foot of the cross. We, we have here a woman who uh, admittedly is, she's desperate. And what, what many people would say is really quite unsalvageable. Because, you see, she is described in this passage um, as a sinner. Now, that designation sinner you will find upon occasion in the New Testament. And oftentimes, uh, when, when you consider that term sinner, it's, it, it reflects not only a person who's caught in some form of immoral living, but oftentimes the word sinner carries with it sexual connotations. And when you do your research on this passage, there are more than one, there's more than one commentator who believes that this woman may well have been a press, uh, prostitute, that she may well have been a sex worker. And, and the reason why they say that is because the evidence of the passage, which is more by way of implication than anything explicitly said. Notice how she's described in this story. She's described, one, as a sinner, which, by the way, again, is oftentimes connected with some form of sexual immorality. Um, she's described as a woman of the city. She is also an individual who brings out of this man named Simon the Pharisee, I'll get to him in just a moment, who invites Jesus into a bit of home hospitality. It's Simon who, who says to himself regarding this woman, if this man, referring to Jesus, if this man truly were a prophet, he would know exactly what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So you put all these things together, and the commenters, commentators say, we cannot be conclusive in this final analysis regarding this woman, but it, it, it could very well be that she's a sex worker, that she's a prostitute. And if this is indeed the case, if she indeed is a sex worker, if she is a prostitute, it's very likely that she is dead on the inside. She is deadened in her soul because of this daily work that she does, probably over you know, years and years of her life. She's dead to self-esteem, any form of self-esteem. She is dead to hope. She is dead to what many of us experience here this morning, true love, a self-sacrificial love. Hopefully, as, as a wife here, if you happen to be married or, you know, uh, if you're engaged, if you're an engaged person or you are somebody who's married and you're a wife, you can, you can say about your husband, you know, my husband's not perfect, but I know he loves me and I know he sacrifices for me. Not always perfectly, but I know that's in his heart. This woman knows nothing of that. What does she know about men? Men who do not sacrifice themselves for her, but she sacrifices for them. She's a woman who simply brings pleasure to all these men. She doesn't know what true love is. Yes, she's probably dead to, to any hope that there be any form of redemption and rescue and any form of renewal for her. But she's not so dead. And this is the beautiful thing. She's not so dead that she is unwilling 
to come to Jesus. Somehow, somehow she must have heard about this Jesus. And she's now, if you think about it, she's going to take a risk. This is a risky move she's taking. We, we read in the story that she slips into the house of Simon the Pharisee. I'll get to that in just a moment. But she slips into this house, and she's, she's going to come into the presence of Jesus. And when she does, she does not know if Jesus will receive her or reject her. If Jesus will, will take her in and, in an appropriate way, show love to her. Or if he will simply tell her to get out. So she's taking a risk. So, yeah, what's going to happen to her? What does happen to her? Let's explore the story. So you have Jesus who is invited by a man named Simon the Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious conservative. The Pharisees were a religious sect that were very interested in the reformation of the people of Israel the covenant people of God, those who are in covenant, those who are in this spiritual marriage and formal bond with God. And many of the Israelites, many of God's people at this point, had turned their backs on God. So the Pharisees saw themselves as a reform, a very conservative reform movement to bring the people back to honoring God, to bring the people back to the will of the Lord, to the law of the Lord. But oftentimes in the Bible, you read how there's this rub between Jesus and the Pharisees because Jesus understood while the Pharisees seemed to be so right and so religious, their hearts were oftentimes empty and they did not understand grace and forgiveness. So this Pharisee, Simon, invites Jesus into his home. We don't know why. We don't know the motivation. Was he truly interested in what Jesus had to say or was he interested in what a lot of Pharisees wanted to do at this time and that is put Jesus to the test and ask him all kinds of questions and put him in a theological bind and put him in a corner somewhere where he couldn't escape. We don't know. All we know is that he invited Jesus into the home for home hospitality. And we read that Jesus is reclining at table with Simon. Now, when you think about reclining at table, you know, don't think about a table in your home with chairs around the home. Think about, th think Middle East. Remember when, when a number of the Afghanis some time ago were, were uh, worshiping with us until, for the sake of jobs, they had to move to the uh, Vancouver area. Kind of missed their presence here. But you know what? They needed a job, so they moved on. Lord willing, they're part of a good church there. But if you've ever been invited to their home, they would invite sometimes people. You would, they, would, they would bring you into a room with a meal, and, and the meal was displayed. Afghani food is wonderful. And they would, they would put it on the floor, and they would have mats, and you would just sit on the mats, and you would eat together. It's very Middle Eastern. We don't do that in North America. So Jesus, in Middle Eastern fashion, is reclining at table, and his, sometimes maybe his feet were to the side, or in this case, his feet were a bit in back of him. And Jesus is experiencing this meal with Simon the Pharisee. I want to submit to you that the story gives us an indication that it wasn't just Jesus and Simon having a meal together, but there were others. Because when you take a look at the end of the passage, we read in verse 49, then those who were at table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Now we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the idea then I want you to have in your mind is not just Jesus and Simon, but there are others there um, who are reclining with Jesus. So here is Jesus, his feet are a bit behind him, and this, this woman... And, and, the, and the text doesn't give us details, but this woman kind of slips into the house. 
and she stands behind Jesus. Now, there's no indication that Simon has seen this, that the others are. They probably are. They're probably aghast at what is happening because the way that this woman looked, probably a number of them knew what kind of woman she was, and she stands behind Jesus, and she didn't say a thing. But, 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 But we see her heart, and it's a damaged heart, and the, the tears are flowing. Now, her eyes are not just wetting up like we sometimes do when we get emotional. I mean, the, it tells you something about where she's at. She, the, the, the tears are just flowing. They're flowing so heavily that they fall on the feet of Jesus. And then we read on in the story that this woman proceeds to do a number of things in connection with Jesus. And it, there's almost a liturgy to it. In other words, there's, there's, there's a there's a certain order of worship to it, in a sense. So she's standing and she's weeping. The tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And then she proceeds to do these things. She bends down and she begins to do a series of symbolic acts. She, she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she begins to kiss. You can maybe imagine, she starts to kiss his feet. And then she anoints his feet with some perfume. And given this woman's background, you would think this is, these are a series of kind of sexualized acts, you know? Kissing, and wiping his feet with her hair, and anointing his feet with perfume. There's nothing sexualized about this. This is a, an expression of sorrow, expression of respect and, and contrition on her, on her part. And, you know, again, this is the kind of story that, that gets your imagination running. And, and kids especially have a rich imagination, right? And then maybe they picture some of this. So this woman is doing this all to Jesus. And there you have Simon he's, and these other guests. And Simon is witnessing this. And he must have been thinking to himself, who in the world exactly, who is this, who is this woman? How did, he get into, how did she get into my house? What does she think she's doing? And most of all, why isn't this Jesus, who is this well-known rabbi and teacher, why isn't he recoiling from this? I mean, if, then he goes on to say, if this man were a true prophet, he would know exactly what kind of woman this is, that now she, she's touching him and kissing him, but she's a sinner. Why isn't he recoiling? Ah, yes, if this man were a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Here's the thing. Jesus knows exactly what kind of woman this is. That's why he doesn't push her away, because she's in need. But here's the thing. He also knows exactly what kind of man Simon is, and that this woman is not only a needy woman in need of forgiveness, but perhaps even more so Simon is a needy sinner in need of forgiveness. I want to submit to you that that's exactly what Jesus is thinking. And why do I say that? Because Jesus then, even though the woman is doing these things to him, he leaves her for a moment and he starts addressing Simon. And he says, Simon, um, I have something to tell you. And Simon's response is, say it, Rabbi, which means teacher. So there's a certain amount of respect for the position of Jesus, although the Pharisees on a whole did not believe that he was the Messiah says, okay, here, here's what I want to tell you. And, and what Jesus does, he tells Simon a really simple story. And he says, Simon, you got a money lender. And you have two people who lent out money to two people. And these two people 
owes the money lender money. Now, one owes him 500 denarii, which is a lot. That's like, in today's uh, terms, that would be like uh, two years' worth of wages. So he's in debt big time, like a lot of people are today with credit cards or what have you. I mean, they're debt big time. This guy's really big in debt. And then the other guy does not owe him 500 denarii, but one-tenth of that, about 50 denarii. Then Jesus goes on to say, Simon, this moneylender decides to forgive both of these individuals their debt. Now, Simon, who do you suppose is going to appreciate, Jesus, uh, appreciate the moneylender more and love the moneylender more? And it's, it's one of these things when you read the Bible, you don't even be, have to be all that spiritually discerning. You can, it's kind of a dumb moment, like, uh, well, you know, the one who's going to show appreciation for the, the cancellation of the debt from the moneylender is the guy who owed him the most. And that's what Simon says. And Jesus says, you're right. You're correct. You get the story, but unfortunately you don't understand what's really going on here. And what Jesus is really saying, and we get this right, so you have this woman who's like, who like owes the money lender Jesus. She, she, she owes him a huge, huge debt because of who she is and all these years that she's been spending doing what she does. The debt is it's, 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 it's like the deficit of nations in North America. I mean, it's way over the head. How do you even begin to pay that? This woman is in a huge deficit. She owes a lot. But look at her heart. She realizes and she embraces in faith, because at the end of the story, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. In faith, she comes to Jesus believing that he's not only the Messiah, but that he is able and he's willing to forget that debt of sin. Now, the one who owes the money lender the least amount, at least in his own eyes, is Simon. But he doesn't really realize just how much he's in debt to the Lord. Now, we look at the story, and it would be very easy for us to immediately get on the case of Simon the Pharisee, because... You know, just because of his heart. And that's not right. But we have to realize something about Simon. There, there are some things that are about him that are laudable. Um, he, is, he is a Pharisee. He is one who, who desires as a Pharisee to be a man of moral rectitude, a man of moral integrity. He does want to be a part of this reform movement. His desire is that the people of God return back to the will of God and the law of God and all of that. He is a man who wants to be a man of moral integrity. But here's the thing. Sometimes what happens, and we see it in the life of Simon the Pharisee, that our desire for moral integrity and antithetical living can get in the way of understanding and experience the grace and the forgiveness of God in our own life or the grace and the forgiveness that, in the case here, Jesus shows to this woman. Sometimes that happens. So a, a takeaway of the story is this that I want us to think about, and I want you to think about this in your own life, all of our lives here. The degree to which we experience and, and show love for Christ the degree to which we're willing to show love to one another and the degree to which we are willing to show love 
to people whom the Lord may place in our lives who are truly dirty and broken and have nowhere to go and no one wants to give them the time of day, the degree to which we show love to these individuals is in direct proportion to our own understanding and experience of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God in our own lives. So if we as individuals and we as a church, God brings people into our lives where it's very easy for us to just kind of walk past them and notice them and not really give them the time of day. And listen, we all do that. Because whenever you're looking at an individual and you know you're supposed to show mercy and you're supposed to disadvantage yourself for the sake of others and show them grace and show them forgiveness, you always think in the back of your mind, if I invest in them, what is that going to take out of me? How is that going to break into my life? How is it going to mess up my own life and the other priorities that I have in life? Because messy people require a lot of time and a lot of effort. But the degree to which we at least show initial interest and care is the degree is in direct proportion to understanding of God's grace and the forgiveness of Christ for our sins. I mean, think what God has invested in us. <laughs> and he does on a daily basis. You see? So the fact of the matter is, you and I, are, we are all in need of forgiveness. And that is, that is exactly what Jesus gives to this woman. Notice as we, we come to the end of the passage, Jesus says to this woman, your sins, the sins, your sins are forgiven. Now, literally in the Bible, it reads like this. Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. Not your sins now at this point are forgiven. They have been forgiven. Giving us the idea that, that even before we come to the end of the passage where Jesus says, you're forgiven, he has already, before we get to the end of the story, he has already forgiven her. Now, here's the thing I want you to think about. This woman has not confessed anything to Jesus. She has not said a single word to him. She did not come to Jesus before all these others, humiliated, come to Jesus and say, you know, I, 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 I got to tell you, it took a lot for me to come here, but you need to know who I am and what I've done, and I feel ashamed. I, 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 I need forgiveness. I need to be made right with God. Can you help me? She says nothing like that. But her actions say everything. Isn't that interesting? Her actions say everything. She wipes his feet with her tears. She kisses his feet. She anoints his feet. Her actions spoke actually louder than her words. The heart of Jesus knows this. He knows the heart of this woman. He knows the faith of this woman. And he says to this woman, your sins are forgiven. They have been forgiven. And then the others around the, around the table is like, no. Who is this who even forgives sins? Well, yeah, it's Jesus. God has the right to forgive sins. Jesus is God in human flesh, and he forgives this woman. He says, your sins are forgiven. He says, now, this life of turmoil and restlessness that you have experienced in your life, I want you to go forth. I want you to go in shalom. I want you to go in peace. For your faith has saved you. So I want you to leave... I want to leave you with this because we need to, we need to come to this table 
like that needy woman who came to the table of Jesus. I want you to think about, and I want you to reflect on this, I want you to think about that ointment, that perfume. We read in our story that this uh, woman, a woman of the city, came in to Simon the Pharisee's house with an alabaster flask of ointment. Many commentators will say that this likely a very expensive perfume, ointment, which makes you think, huh, how did she pay for that? Well, let you draw the conclusion on that one. So she takes this perfume, which Jesus does not reject, and she places it on the feet of Jesus, and then she wipes his feet with her hair and all, all of this. Now, I want you to think about that perfume. This woman does this deed. Eventually, she must leave Simon's house. Now, think about what she carries with her. She carries that perfume in her hair. She carries that perfume in her clothes. She carries that perfume on her hands. In the days to come, she can just go, she can, she can smell in grace, she can smell in forgiveness. Now, that very perfume must have permeated Simon's, at least the room where this was all taking place, where they were having this meal together. You wonder, don't you, if, if when Simon smelled that aroma, that it brought something sweet to mind, that he understood himself, grace and forgiveness. You wonder, and the reason why I say you wonder, because in the story itself, Jesus says, you know, Simon, look at this woman. Look at all what she's done. Look at, she's kissed my feet. She's wiped my feet with her, with her hair after her tears falling on my feet. She's anointed my feet with perfume. All of these things. Look at this love. Simon, what about you? I mean, I came into your house. What kind of hospitality and love did you show me? Did you wash my feet? Did you care for me? Simon, do you even know in your heart of hearts what this woman was given? And have you embraced that for yourself? Do you understand grace? Do you understand forgiveness? What about us? You know, the, 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 the fragrance of this story kind of now, let's say it wafts in this gym. When we, when we smell that fragrance, do we smell grace? Do we smell forgiveness? Do we smell the hope that is, that is available to us? It is a smell. Is it a smell that clings to us because our own hands have anointed the feet of Jesus and our own hands have poured perfume on Jesus' feet as an expression of love for all that he has done for us. This woman did. She took the risk, but in faith and in love she came to Jesus. And that is the calling of every one of us here this morning. No matter, no matter what background, no matter what history, no matter what we have been involved in or what we have been involved in now, all the Lord desires from us is come to the end of ourselves, repent, confess, and embrace him and fall at his feet. And here's the beautiful truth. If Jesus can save a woman like this in our passage, if Jesus can save someone like a murderer like the Apostle Paul, if Jesus is a physician to the soul for those who are caught in the deepest and the dirtiest of sins, can he not save us? 
And can he not embrace us if we draw near to him in repentance and faith? And the answer is, yes, he can. And yes, he will. And we find a beautiful expression of that in the table before us, which we're going to celebrate in just a moment. But before we do, let's come to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, for the gospel of grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We thank you that every week we may come here and revel, revel in that grace and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you are a physician of the soul. We thank you that you are the good doctor who has come to seek and save those who are lost, not only as the great doctor, but as the good shepherd. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for these things. And now we pray, O oh God, that you will bless this sacrament as we ponder further how each and every one of us here have just but one plea, and that is, Lord, save. Save and reconcile to the uttermost. And we know that you are able and you are willing. We thank you for that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.